Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. This past weekend, I officiated my niece's wedding. Olivia, I was out of town in Birmingham, did the wedding, got to spend some time with my parents and my dad, and they're all kind of watching this morning. It was kind of a dry run because I have another wedding coming up in a few weeks as well. So uh, I'm, you know, trying to get in wedding mode there, but I had asked uh, Bo to uh, fill in for me this morning. I try to give them all a chance to preach through uh, throughout the year, and I love Bo and Megan. Walker, uh, they they uh, brought me in. He hired me when I came here. kept me kept me on staff. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate that. He was very kind and generous to me. But uh, Bo and I have worked uh, uh, for a while uh, since I've been here nine almost ten years. And uh, I love this guy. I love his heart for ministry. But you know, it's I see him pray, and I know his life of study as well. And not only is he our children's pastor here, but he's one of our staff associates as well, and he carries other responsibilities, and he's a huge help to me this morning, and he's going to continue our series in Nehemiah. So would you make welcome our children's pastor this morning, Bo Walker, as he comes to preach God's Word. I told him I wanted a raving review when he introduced me, so you did good. You did good. <laughs> I think he's normally out of town when I preach, so uh, I was interested to see how that was going to go. So <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you, Pastor Brian, for the opportunity to, to speak this morning, and uh, I know I, I say it every time I get the opportunity, but it is just truly an honor to uh, be able to minister to the kids and families of this church. I literally walk around sometimes and think that I'm still in a dream, because when my family moved here, uh, when I was seven years old and grew up, I, I dreamed of opportunities to be the kid's pastor at this church one day and have opportunities to stand on this stage, what used to be on that side, um, but I, I dreamed of the opportunities to, to do that, and so I, I literally feel like I'm, I'm living my dream, and uh, it's just an honor to get to minister here and be part of a team that really just feels like family and uh, just excited about all that God is doing here at Generations Church. It has been a busy summer. We've had a ton going on. Uh, Pastor Brad and I joke all the time when summer was approaching, I wrote on his board in his office, summer is coming. Summer is now here. It's almost gone already, but we have been hard at it. Uh, awesome times at camps, missions trips. Uh, we've got mega sports camp coming up. So just really excited about all that God has doing. So, well, uh, if, you, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, Pastor Brian has put me through the ringer this morning. He's had the luxury of taking the last two weeks to walk through one chapter of Nehemiah, and uh, today I have the, the pleasure of walking you through two chapters of Nehemiah in one service. So buckle up, all right? We got a lot of, we got a lot of ground to cover, but man, these are some rich chapters with some great lessons from Nehemiah and uh, excited about God's Word and how He wants to speak to us today. So just as kind of a recap, remember that the story of Nehemiah was written based on a promise from God a hundred years earlier that he was going to free the, the Jewish exiles that were living in Babylon, that he was going to restore them to their, their land. He was going to restore the temple. He was going to restore their lives in Jerusalem. And so these past several weeks. We've been walking through Nehemiah. We talked about Nehemiah's prayer and the call that God placed in his heart to go back and to restore and rebuild uh, the, the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, we talked about Nehemiah and kind of his arrival in Jerusalem and starting to get the team ready to rebuild uh, the, the walls. Uh, and, and then we talked about the last couple of weeks, Pastor Brian spoke on Nehemiah and how as a leader, he faced many types of different kinds of opposition, uh, discouragement, 
resentment, gossip, and hurt. And so today we're going to jump in to Nehemiah chapter 5 and chapter 6. So in chapter 4, as the wall is being rebuilt and Nehemiah and his leaders, uh, they, they kind of come under great opposition from the enemy to put a stop to this work. So that was chapter 4. But what we're going to see in chapter 5 is that the enemy is not the one causing the holdup any longer. It's God's own people. It's fellow Jews. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to start right there in verse 1. It says this, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. I know what that feels like. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We, uh, verse 5, we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs, yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others." So up to this point, Nehemiah has faced all kinds of opposition from the enemy, but now he's dealing with a problem amongst his own people. There was a money problem. Some of the Jewish people who have returned uh, from Babylon don't have enough money to feed their families. They're having to mortgage their land. They're having to mortgage their property. They're having to borrow money just to pay their taxes, and some are even having to sell sell off their children as slaves just to have money to eat. So there's this incredible unified effort to rebuild the walls around the city, but it also meant perhaps that people aren't currently working their normal jobs. They're not receiving their normal income. There's also this famine in the land that's causing food shortages and causing increased prices. The government still wants their taxes, even though uh, people aren't working as much and the cost of living has gone up. And then on top of all of that, it says that the rich are taking advantage of this crisis to make money off the poor. They're charging the poor 12% interest on the money that they have borrowed. And so Nehemiah finds himself in the middle of another crisis, but not one from the enemy, one within the, his own people. What was he going to do about this financial crisis? Well, in Nehemiah 5, verse 6, Nehemiah says, When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. I want you to understand this morning, Nehemiah was busy with this massive building project, all right? He's dealing with all of these personal uh, trials, attacks from the enemy, but yet in the middle of all of that, he still hears the cry of the hurting and the needy. He's still angry about the injustices that the Jewish people are causing against their very own. So in the middle of what would have been Nehemiah's greatest assignment from God and what would become his greatest achievement, he still has compassion on the poor. So I want to ask you today, how is your heart when it comes to compassion? How's your heart when it comes to compassion? How is your heart when it comes to injustice? Does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? Because I think it can become so easy to allow our own life circumstances to determine our level of compassion towards those in need. It's so easy to allow our own circumstances to determine the compassion we have to those in need. Well, you know, I've, I've just got, I've got this project going on right now. I've, I've got to be at this appointment. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going through my own trials right now. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. 
And look, I, I stand before you today, guilty party of one, all right? I, uh, I mean, I, the Holy Spirit has really had to check my heart in this area at times. You know, I, I think things to myself like, well, you know, I, I'd, stop, I'd stop and help them, but I, I got to get to staff prayer on time or Pastor Brian's going to get on to me, you know? We, we come up with all of these excuses of why we can't stop and help. I'm, I'm right in the middle of this issue or I've got this going on in my life. Am I the only one? Man, help us, Jesus, right? Help us to have hearts of compassion. Help our hearts to break for the things that break your heart. Help us to have hearts of compassion for the hurting and the needy. It was a couple of years ago, and uh, I was driving into uh, work here at the church, and I was turning right off of Bluntstown back here onto the back road behind the church. And uh, it was just in that moment where the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and he said, do you even notice anymore? Do you even notice anymore? And I'm thinking, God, what, what, are, what are you talking about? Do I notice what? what I mean, what do, you, what do you mean? And just in that moment, as he asked me that question, do you even notice anymore? The Holy Spirit showed me that that morning on my way to work, I had passed several different people in need, several different homeless people along the route to church that morning, and I had just kind of gone about my day and didn't really even notice that they were there. Do you even notice anymore? Ouch. That one kind of hurt, right? But Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah. He hears the need and his heart is broken to the point of anger. It's one thing, though, to just see a need and feel bad, but it's an entirely different thing to actually go and meet the need, right? We can see a need and feel bad about it. It's a different thing to meet the need. So we can feel bad. We can feel sad. We can even feel angry about injustice, but compassion that doesn't lead to action is not compassion. I said compassion that doesn't lead to action is not compassion. It's just a feeling. And let me tell you, feelings don't fix problems. Feelings that lead to action fix problems. And that is true compassion. Compassion should always lead our hearts to action. Compassion should always lead our hearts to action. So Nehemiah wasn't just angry about what was going on. In fact, he took time away from the wall and all the other things that were going on. He didn't allow his busyness, this great project, to stand in the way of his compassion. He made sure that there was going to be a solution to this financial crisis that was going on. Nehemiah said, not on my watch, and he decides to take action to help those in need. So in verse 8, he says, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? So Nehemiah's like, hey, look, we're out here trying to redeem and rescue our people from Babylon, and here you are just selling them right back into slavery again. What in the world are we doing? So he calls a meeting in verse 9, and he calls them out, and he says, what you are doing is not right. And so he stirs the hearts of people into righting their wrongs. It's really easy to get to a place where we feel bad about those in need, and we do nothing to respond but church, we have to remember that feelings don't fix problems. We've got to take action. I love that as a church, part of Pastor Brian's vision for our church this year is that we've begun to really take action locally to help those in need and help those walking through all kinds of things. As a church, we've decided that we can't just sit idly by while our neighbors are suffering. 
We can't sit idly by while children in Tallahassee are stuck in the system and they're bouncing around from home to home with no hope. We can't sit idly by while there's women and men sleeping out on the streets with no shelter, no food, bearing the weight of addiction that they've had in their lives forever. We can't sit idly by while women and children are being trafficked right here in our community and left with no sense of hope, left with no sense of purpose and love in their lives. We can't sit idly by. We can't just feel bad about it. We've got to take action. But Nehemiah goes even a step further, and I love this. He doesn't just get angry at the problem. He doesn't just, as a leader, go and stir the hearts of people and say, here's a problem, you fix it. No, he takes personal action. He makes the problem personal. And so in verses 10 through 18, we see a number of ways that Nehemiah responds to this this problem with the, the needy. He responds to it personally. In verse 10, he's lending his own personal money, his own personal grain to those in need. In verses 14 and 15, as the governor of Judah, he would have had the power to collect kind of this food allowance to make sure his needs were taken care of. But he turns that down because he knows that there's a great need in the land. And he says, no, 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 I, I know that I can, I can receive that. I know I have that power, but I'm not going to do it because he was more concerned about the need of his people. Verse 16, he doesn't acquire any land. So in this time, he's, he's not out for personal gain. He's making sure the needs of the people are taken care of. Verse 17 and 18, he's not asking for anything as the wall's being completed. He wants to make sure that others are taken care of. I love this. He even regularly hosts Jewish officials and foreigners at his own table, paying for the meals out of his own pocket. Again, he could have used this food allowance to help feed these people, but he says, no, 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 I don't want to create a greater burden on the people. I'll take care of this myself. He's responding personally. So I want to ask you this morning, church, what is your personal response to the hurting and the needy? What's your personal response to the hurting and the needy? Listen, hear my heart on this. I love that as a church, we have a heart to give. We've seen God do some incredible, really miraculous things through our giving. And dollars represent hearts ministered to, lives changed through the power of Jesus. And we celebrate that. We celebrate how God has used our giving in Tallahassee and around the world to change lives. But I want to caution us this morning because I think it can become really easy to just throw money at problems for the needy and the hurting so that we don't have to get our hands hands dirty. Again, guilty party of one right here. It can become so easy to use our resources and finances to say, here you go. Good luck. Here you go. Take care of it. So we celebrate. Yes, absolutely. We celebrate how God uses our giving to bring life and bring hope to the world. But church, I believe God is challenging us as a church not to just invest financially into the needs of the world and the hurting of the world. I believe we're being challenged to make a personal investment to make a relational investment, to make a time investment into the hurting and the needy. Because church, I want to tell you, money does not fix every problem. There's people in our community that need a friend. There's people in our community that need someone to come pick them up out of their mess and say, I'm going to walk with you until you get through this thing. Me, you, and Jesus, we're going to walk together, but we miss those opportunities because we just write a check. We say, someone else will take care of it. We celebrate that, how God uses our finances, but also he's challenging us to make a personal, relational, time investment into the hurting and the needy. It's time that we're willing to get our hands dirty. 
So if any of this this morning is resonating with you, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning, and you're like, well, Bo, how, how do I get involved? What can I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, we're involved with Hope Community, housing for, the, for homeless children and families. We're involved in Christians Against Trafficking, Street Hope, our ministry to the homeless, GC Families, our ministry to foster children and families. We're, we're doing things with the Women's Pregnancy Center, Good News Outreach, all kinds of outreaches to the hurting and the needy. And so if today you're like, Pastor Bo, that's resonating with me. I need to get personally involved. I need to make a, a relationship investment, a personal investment, a time investment. Go see Kelsey Quinn, our outreach pastor here at Generations Church. She would love to get you plugged in to one of these ministries. Go see Melissa Dansell, who leads our GC Families Ministry to foster children and foster families. Go see Miss Doris Beck, who leads Street Hope, our ministry to the homeless. Don't just write a check or make a donation online and make it someone else's problem. Find a way to respond personally. That's what Nehemiah did. He was angry about what was going on. He stirred the hearts of the people, but he also responded personally. The compassion of Nehemiah in chapter five is a great foreshadowing of a man who would come to the earth hundreds of years later. The prophet Isaiah would prophesy that this man would bring good news to the poor, that he would bring comfort to the brokenhearted. Captives would be released and prisoners set free. This was a man whose heart would break for the hurting and the needy. This was a man who would make time for the least of these. This was a man who would have great compassion on people everywhere that he went. He would notice the needs of others. He would take personal action to help them and restore him, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. His name was Jesus. So churches, we pursue Jesus together. Let's not be guilty of just feeling bad or feeling sad for the hurting and the needy. Let's be a church. Let's be a people of action. Let's not just claim to have righteous anger towards the injustices of the world and not back it up with our personal actions. Amen? All right, that's chapter five. Woo! All right, chapter six. It's good stuff. Love Nehemiah. All right. So in chapter 6, we're immediately going to see some familiar names pop back up. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. So these are the same guys that we ran into a few chapters ago who were doing everything they could to bring a halt or bring a stop to the work on the wall. So as Nehemiah and the Jewish people are just about to, uh, or uh, sorry, as, as they're about to finish the wall and uh, kind of complete this task, these same enemies go into now or never mode, all right? This is like their last effort to stop the, the work on the wall. And so there's all these new attacks that come from the enemy, but also in this chapter, we're going to see how Nehemiah responds to these attacks with great spiritual discernment. I love this definition of discernment. It's simply knowing the good when it seems bad and knowing the bad when it seems good. I'll say that again. Knowing the good when it seems bad and knowing the bad when it seems good. So it's being able to judge matters according to God's view of them and not according to their outward appearance. Man, if there was something that we needed as followers of Jesus in this hour, in the culture and the world that we live in, with so many voices out there saying different things, we need spiritual discernment. Jesus, help us to know the good when it seems bad. Help us to know the bad when it seems good. 
in order to know God's view of things and how he sees things. First, we simply have to know God. We have to know his voice. We have to seek his voice. We do that through his word. We, th- we do that through regular prayer that uh, aligns our heart to his. But I think another important step to gaining spiritual discernment is knowing the enemy. We have to know the tactics of the enemy. We have to know how Satan plans to attack. We have to know his plans. We have to know his patterns. We have to know his tendencies. I've always admired athletes who maybe aren't the greatest skill-wise at their sports, especially quarterbacks who maybe aren't the fastest guys on the field or maybe they don't have the best arm compared to other quarterbacks, but they're great quarterbacks because they know the opposition. They know the enemy. They know the defense that they're up against. Many of you have probably heard of a player called Peyton Manning. Now, Peyton Manning was as slow as Christmas. When Peyton Manning would take off running, people would just laugh because it was funny, right? Go, go look up Peyton Manning running it in for a touchdown on YouTube and just laugh. It's funny, right? He's, he's not the fastest guy, doesn't have the strongest arm. But Peyton Manning always knew his opponent. And when he was recently asked how many hours of film study would he do a week to get ready for the game, he said it was about 20 hours every week studying film, studying the opponent. I mean, these guys are down to details of knowing that if certain personnel are on the field, that this is going to happen. If this guy is backed up a couple yards deep, this it's this coverage. If this guy turns his body this way, this blitz is coming. I mean, they know everything that the defense Vince is about to do, and Peyton Manning won championships in a lot of football games based on the fact that sometimes he knew what the defense was going to do better than they did themselves. He said this, the more information I have, the better equipped I'll be to beat that defense. And so the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. We have to know Satan. We have to know the enemy. We have to know how he is going to attack. So here in Nehemiah 6, I think we have some common tactics of the enemy that we we need to be aware of. So as we go through this chapter, I'm going to share with you six things to look out for from the enemy. I know when a pastor says six and not three, everybody freaks out, but I'm going to move quickly. All right? All right? So just just bear with me. All right. So Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So just as Nehemiah and the Jews are getting ready to hang the doors on the gates, kind of the, the last step, right? They're getting ready to celebrate the completion of the wall, the opposition shows back up. Nehemiah has already handled the previous opposition from these guys. He's dealt with this crisis within his own people, right? So he probably thinks, whew, I got that behind me. The enemy's gone. We solved the financial problem. Let's get this thing done and celebrate. Let's party. But just when they're getting ready to finish the wall, Look who shows back up. So the first thing we have to look out for when it comes to the enemy is look out when all seems well. Look out when all seems well. Listen, the enemy doesn't care if you're in the middle of accomplishing something great for God. He doesn't care if you're in a season of celebration. He doesn't care if all is well with you. Students, he doesn't care if you're coming off uh, great spiritual experiences this summer at camps and missions trips. In fact, he sees that as a great time to bring opposition and spiritual attacks. Why? Because it's so easy, isn't it? 
in those moments of feeling like everything is going well. We're in a season of, of celebration. We're in a season of blessing. And what happens in those moments is we let our guard down. We let our guard down because everything's going well, and that's exactly when the enemy loves to attack because as soon as he sees any kind of weakness, he's coming. When you're in a season of blessing or you feel like you've done great things for the kingdom of God or even when you feel like things are going great for you spiritually, let me warn you, do not let your guard down. Because the enemy is looking, like I said, for any moment of weakness to bring opposition or spiritual attack to your life. So we have to look out when all seems well. Verses 2 and 3 says, So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? So these same guys who brought opposition a few chapters ago and were part of bringing discouragement, personal attacks, gossip to Nehemiah and the Jews. These are the same guys. But here, they're now asking to set up a meeting with Nehemiah. Interesting. All right. So Nehemiah could have perceived this meeting in a number of ways. He could have thought, well, maybe these guys are wanting to meet and bring reconciliation. Maybe they're wanting to offer peace. Maybe they're trying to give me a break from all the work on the wall, right? He could have perceived this meeting in a lot of different ways. There could have been all kinds of reasons why they wanted to meet. But Nehemiah knew immediately that this was no good. He knew that they wanted to harm him. And keep him from finishing the wall. So he rejects their offer. The second thing we have to look out for from the enemy is look out for bad things wrapped in good packages. Look out for bad things wrapped in good packages. Anybody like Krispy Kreme donuts besides me? You can tell by my physique that uh, I enjoy one or a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts at a time. Listen, Krispy Kreme donut, it looks good, it smells good, and it certainly tastes good, right? I pick up 12 to 15 dozen of these things during the school year twice a month, coming right off the belt, hot now, right in the back of my car. Talk about temptation. Not for me. I take them to the schools. Let's clarify that. Um, But man... A Krispy Kreme donut, it looks good, it smells good, it tastes good. You know, that hot glaze is, you know, dripping off. I love, too, I love when they're, they're so hot and they've, you know, you, they're sitting in the seat over there and you go to pick them up when you get where you're going and the box is starting to, like, fall apart because they're so hot and it's steamy in there that the box is starting to, to fall apart. That's when you know it's about to be really good, Right? But let's be honest, the Krispy Kreme donut may look good, smell good, taste good, but the things that it does to your body are not so good, right? Example number one, all right? But that's the same with the enemy. Just like maybe he uses Krispy Kreme donuts in my life, he uses all kinds of things, serious things, to bring opposition to our lives. He loves this tactic because it's tricky. This tactic is tricky. This is where we really have to have discernment and say, Lord, help me to know the bad when things seem good. Help me to know the good when things seem bad. We need the Lord's help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit in this area because the enemy is really smart in this area. He's really good at wrapping bad things in good packages. On the surface, it looks good. It looks right. But what's hiding behind that shiny paper and that pretty bow is something that you don't want to get into, that you don't want to be part of. Well, you know... it. It looks like the right job offer. 
you know. It looks like it would be a, a good relationship. I mean, they're, they're a pretty good person. Everything seems right. It's so shiny and pretty. Everything looks right. But we've got to be careful. Nehemiah could have seen that invitation as a step towards reconciliation. But because of his spiritual discernment, he knew that this was a bad thing wrapped in a good package. The enemy loves this approach. So look out for bad things wrapped in good packages. Verse 4 says, Four times they sent the same message And each time I gave the same reply. So Nehemiah turns them down once, but it's not enough, right? They come back again and again and again with the same message. So number three, look out for repeated attacks. Look out for repeated attacks because the enemy doesn't give up. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're unsaved, saved, saved a thousand times, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a pastor, a deacon, a regular attender, a tither, a missions giver, a sinner, an addict, whatever. It doesn't matter. The enemy's mission is the same for each and every one of us. He wants to destroy you. That's his mission to destroy you. He wants to keep you from knowing the plans and the purposes that you have in Christ. He wants to keep you from knowing who you are in Christ. He wants to keep you from the plans that God has for your life. He wants to keep you from being fully devoted to Jesus and following him with your life. So it doesn't matter where you're at in your relationship with God in this room. It doesn't matter if you're unsaved or you've been saved for 60 years. The enemy's plan for you is still the same. He wants to keep coming after you to destroy you, to defeat you. And he's not going to stop until Jesus returns and defeats the enemy once and for all. So until then, know that the enemy is not going to stop coming after you and after your family. He wants to bring destruction. He wants to bring brokenness. He wants to bring anger and bitterness. Nehemiah's enemy, they didn't give up after the first rejection of the invitation. And our enemy, Satan, doesn't give up just because you said no one time. He doesn't give up just because you resisted temptation one time. He's always lurking, always ready to attack. So we have to look out for repeated attacks. Verses 5 through 8 says, The fifth time Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that this is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, There is the king in Judah. There is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Nehemiah in verse 8 replied, There is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. (laughs) So the fifth time, Sanballat sends a servant, but this time with an open letter which is interesting because this would have been a letter that was not sealed in any way, meaning that whoever this letter came across as it was getting to Nehemiah could have been read by anyone. So this letter finally makes it to Nehemiah, and it basically says, look, Nehemiah, everyone around here knows what you're up to. We know that you and the Jews are going to rebel and that you are going to try to overthrow the king. And we know that you want to be the new king of Judah. Number four, we have to look out for rumors and gossip. 
Look out for rumors and gossip. So when personal attacks, spiritual attacks and opposition are often wrapped in rumors and gossip, it's a telltale sign that the enemy is behind it if it's wrapped in rumors and gossip. I also want to caution you to look out for language that suggests everyone is saying. You ever had someone say that to you? Hey, I've, I've, talked to, I've talked to several people, and this is what everyone thinks, right? You see that here. All the surrounding nations think this, Nehemiah, right? The enemy loves to make you think that there's a, a big crowd behind the accusation or the attack. So Samballot's doing everything he can to conjure up a crowd. So he sends this open letter, which I think was intentional, because he wants as many eyes as possible to see this rumor that's going around. Oh, man, did, did you hear what Nehemiah's trying to do? Right? And so he, he starts telling them, you know, everyone around, the surrounding nations, they, they all agree. So you can see the pattern here. He's stirring up the rumor. He's stirring up the gossip among the people to bring fear to Nehemiah and the Jewish, and the Jewish people. But Nehemiah knows that there's no truth to it. He shuts it down. So you have to look out for rumors and gossip. Verse 9 says they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Man, what a great verse. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Number five, look out for intimidation and discouragement. Look out for intimidation and discouragement. Nehemiah knew that his enemies were just trying to bring about intimidation and discouragement. When intimidation and discouragement are present, church, you got to know that those things are not from God. Those are tactics and tendencies of the enemy. But this was a common attack used by Nehemiah's enemies, right? We saw this all throughout chapter four, and here they are again, bringing discouragement, bringing intimidation. They were trying to strike fear in Nehemiah and the people. We have to look out for intimidation and discouragement. I love this verse as well, and I love the heart of Nehemiah because church at some point, like I said, the enemy is not gonna stop. So there comes a point when you have to have the attitude of Nehemiah and say, you know what, I'm going to continue the work. I'm just going to continue it with even greater determination. Other translations say, I prayed and asked God to strengthen my hands. And I love this. Church, sometimes... We've got to decide, you know what, the enemy can be trying to start rumors and gossip and bring intimidation and all these things to my life, fear to my life. But like Nehemiah, at some point, we've got to put the hand back to the plow and say, Satan, you're not going to win this one. I'm going to continue what God has called me to do with determination. I'm going to continue what God has placed in my heart and in my life and what I know you've told me to do. Satan, you're not winning this thing through discouragement and fear and rumors and gossip. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I love that about the heart of Nehemiah. Verses 10 through 12. It says, later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the grandson of Mehetabel. How did I do? <laughs> who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then 
they would be able to accuse and discredit me. So this guy, Shemaiah, is, I guess, appears to be a self-proclaimed prophet now. And so he tells Nehemiah, hey, your enemies are coming tonight, and they're coming to kill you. So let's go to the temple. Let's lock ourselves inside for protection. And we see also a little bit of bad things wrapped in good packages here as well. Because it seems on the outside like a good idea, right? It's like, well, I mean, that, that makes sense. The enemies are coming to kill me. I need protection. I don't want to die. What better place to go for protection than the temple of God, to go to his house? But the real issue here is that to go into the innermost part of the temple would have been a sin. Only priests were allowed there. Nehemiah knew this, and he says so in verse 13 when he says, they were trying to get me to sin. So number six, the last lookout statement is, look out for contradictions to God's word. Look out for contradictions to God's word. This one may seem kind of obvious, right? But the enemy has used this approach since Adam and Eve. He's used this approach with the temptation of Jesus himself. And he still uses it today. So in order for us to know that something is against the word of God, <laughs> that's right, you first got to know the word of God. How many followers of Jesus get themselves into really bad situations because they don't know the word of God? Because they never go to God's word for guidance and to seek out, God, what, what is your opinion on this? Speak to me, Holy Spirit. Help me to know the good when it seems bad, the good or the bad when it seems good. Help me to know. Guide me. Show me what to do. The enemy is crafty. He'll use false prophets. He'll use false words that sound spiritual, wrapped in fancy spiritual words. He'll even use the scripture itself against you. The enemy will use scripture itself against you. It's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve and Jesus. He tried to use scripture and he twisted it. But church, if we don't know what his word really says, we stand no chance. We stand no chance. And some of us, we fall so easily to his tactics and his snares and his traps because the enemy knows the word of God better than we do. So the minute we hear this spiritual sounding word, we're like, oh, that's good, that's good. And later to find out that was no word from God at all. We've gotta have discernment. We have no defense when the enemy, just like Peyton Manning, <laughs> if he knows what, what we're doing before we even do it, and he uses our, our, our own, our life, God's word, if he uses that against us, man, we're in trouble. We have to know God's word. We have to look out for contradictions to his word. That's the last one. Look out for contradictions to God's word. Nehemiah had great spiritual discernment, and part of that discernment was knowing the tactics and strategies of the enemy. And so if we want to have great spiritual discernment, then we have to know the attacks of the enemy. We have to look out. Look out when all seems well. Look out for bad things wrapped in good packages. Look out for repeated attacks. Look out for rumors and gossip. Look out for intimidation and discouragement. And look out for contradictions to God's word. I want to close with this. Worship team, you guys can come. Verses 15 and 16 almost seem out of place in this chapter, but it's squeezed in right at the end of chapter 6. It says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. 
they realized this work had been done with the help of God. 52 days. Man, think about that. 52 days. Try getting a wall built around an entire city in our world today. Mr. Marty, you can't even get a permit from the city of Tallahassee in 52 days, much less build an entire wall around a city. <laughs> but think about it. I mean, you, you, can, you can really think about this. No power tools, no excavators. I mean, think about that. All they had was the power of God and the willingness of man. In 52 days, the wall was complete. God stirred the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. And with God's help, Nehemiah exemplified incredible leadership. He overcame many obstacles, opposition, and now 52, late, 52 days later, after, pro, after the project had begun, it was finished. Absolutely incredible. The power of God, it was a miracle. I was just standing over there during worship and what was being said from the stage this morning during worship because talk about the character of God. That's exactly how I'm closing today. So perhaps God's up to something. I just wanted to remind you as we close out our service this morning that we serve a God of completion. We serve a God of completion. Philippians 1.6, it says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The work that God started in you, he will be faithful to finish. Maybe you're here today. You feel lost. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you've been crippled by fear. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you feel trapped by sin or addiction. I want you to know that you don't have to live that way any longer. You don't have to live in brokenness. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in discouragement. You don't have to live in confusion and doubt, and you don't have to live in sin. Over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, hung on a cross, and when his, with his final breath, he uttered the words, it is finished. It is finished. He's all, he always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. Maybe you're holding on to a dream or a promise today, and maybe you've run into some opposition along the way. I want you to know that he's not through with you. He's not through with you. If you would just open your heart to him and let him do what only he can do in your life. He's a God of completion. He didn't call you to this place to leave you hanging out to dry. He didn't call you to where you are to leave you sitting in a pile of discouragement and shame and guilt and gossip and whatever it may be. He says, get up out of your mess. Take my hand. Let's walk this thing out together because I always finish what I started. And what I started in you won't be complete until the day I return. So until then, know that I'm still at work. I'm still working. I'm still doing a great work in your heart and in your life. Don't get stuck by sin and addiction and fear because I'm not through with you. Not through with you. He always finishes what he started. So today, whatever that thing is in your life, would you give it to him? Would you stand and just worship with us this morning as we get ready to close? Give it to him today. Whatever that thing is, fear, sin, addiction, anxiety, depression, he always finishes what he started. He's not through with you. He's not done working in your life. Let's give it to him today.
Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I will remain steadfast and let my heart when you speak a word it will come to though the storms though the storms may come and the winds may blow I remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. So great, God. great is your faithfulness to me. From the, rise, from the rising sun to the We're going to continue just to sing this song and reflect on the character of God and his faithfulness and know that he always finishes what he started. But as we continue to sing this song out and worship this morning, if you're here today and maybe you just feel stuck, maybe you feel stuck by your situation, maybe you've been given a dream or a promise and it feels stuck and you're stuck in discouragement, you're stuck in all of these things from the enemy, I want you to have the opportunity today to give it to him because he's a God of completion and he's not through with you yet. So as we continue to sing this song, if you have a need in your life and you need the finisher to come and touch your heart this morning, we want to invite you to come to this altar and our team wants to come and pray with you this morning.
church he's moving in this place this morning the God of completion is working this morning come on if you have a need in your life come to this altar give it to him today the power of God is in this room it's in his presence that we're made whole it's in his presence that we're healed it's in his presence that brokenness is restored come to this altar today give it to him let him do the work in your life. Come on, let's sing this out. Sing great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me, God. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising, the rising sun to the shade. something for me would you stretch your hands this way my sister Emily Garrison we've prayed been praying continue to pray for her she needs a special touch from the Lord and we know that we serve a God of completion would you help me pray this morning corporately for Emily God we thank you we thank you for Emily God I thank you for this pillar of faith who in her darkest moments God in her deepest trials Lord is here continuing to pour her heart out to you and worship you and give you the glory and the honor and praise God I know that you've seen and you see her faithfulness and God we're praying and continuing to pray for a supernatural healing a supernatural miracle in her life God we're praying for strength in her body God we're praying for you to do what only you can do God the doctors may not have an answer but Lord we know that you are the answer and so God today we pray healing we pray wholeness we pray restoration over her body God we pray for a miraculous touch in the powerful name of Jesus we thank you Lord that we don't have to live in sickness and disease because we know that you are our healer you are our provider you are our strength and God today we pray over our sister we pray over Emily God to do a mighty powerful work in her body and in her life God would you bring healing God when we come to the end of the rope when we don't know the answer any longer that's when we stand on our faith and trust in you and God we're asking you to show up where humans may not have an answer God we're believing for a supernatural miracle a supernatural answer in Emily's life this morning would you bring healing Jesus would you do it like only you can do God we have faith and we believe in your power and your healing touch this morning would you minister Jesus we thank you thank you Jesus thank you Jesus we serve a God of completion a God of completion he placed a dream in Nehemiah's heart a dream that might have seemed impossible to complete in 52 days but what doesn't make sense to humans, it doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to Him. With the power of God, the wall was finished. 
And I just believe this morning that there's some of you out there who feel stuck, feel weighed down by the things of this world. You're discouraged, you're defeated. And I just want you to know that he's not through with you. He's not through with you. He's walking with you. As we get ready to close this morning, I, uh, amen. I spoke uh, on chapter five about compassion, and I, I mentioned that, you know, we, we've got to make compassion personal. We've got to make it personal. We can't just feel bad about it. We can't just throw money at it. We can't make it someone else's problem. It's time that we get our hands dirty. And I want to tell you, church, I want to tell you, those ladies that I mentioned, Melissa, Doris, Kelsey, they don't just need your checks. They need your bodies. They need people. They need your help. When we're putting on these events, when we're at Hope Community on Monday nights and Street Hope's out feeding people, they need you. They need you. When we're putting together teams for GC families to watch foster kids so the parents can be trained, we need you. We've got to make it personal. We've got to make it personal. So I would encourage you, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today in that area. Find one of those ladies. Find someone on our staff. We'll get you connected to the right people. And trust me, we got plenty of ways that you can get your hands dirty when it comes to compassion. So just wanted to mention that before we go. Can I pray for you this morning? Jesus, we thank you. We're just so in awe of you this morning. We thank you for your powerful presence in this place. We thank you for your word and how your word challenges us, God, and helps us to become who you want us to be. God, I pray that we'll take the things that we heard from your word today, God, and we'll apply it to our lives. God, help us to be a people of compassion. God, help us to know the tactics and the attacks of the enemy so that we can stand firm in this world and in this culture. And God, help us to always remember your character, that you are a God of completion and you always finish what you start. Help us to cling to that here on earth, God, that even if we don't get our answer here, God, we know there's a day coming. There's a day coming when there will be complete healness, uh, healing, complete wholeness, complete restoration. Help us to know, Jesus, that you're not through with us. Jesus, we love you and we worship you this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.